Welcome to the History of Christianity podcast with Stephen Bedard. Please visit me at historyofchristianitypodcast.com. In previous episodes, we've seen that there have been numerous persecutions of Christians, although most of them were quite small and local. We should not think of an intense persecution that lasted from the time of the Apostle Paul to Constantine the Great. It was often sporadic and did not spread right across the Roman Empire. We did see an increase in persecution in the 3rd century. We should not be surprised by this. The 3rd century was a turbulent time for the Empire, both in terms of internal strife, including frequent changes of emperors, and with natural disasters, especially plagues. People needed a scapegoat. The idea that neglect of the worship of the Roman gods was the cause of their problems was a useful narrative. If you think that is superstitious nonsense, then at least consider that targeting certain people groups has been a frequent tactic from ancient times until today. When we look at the rise of Adolf Hitler, we can see how he used the Jews as a scapegoat during Germany's difficulties following their defeat in the First World War. Even today, you will see certain groups targeting another group to explain why bad things are happening and using that hatred as a rallying point to unite like-minded people. The religious setting of the ancient world was very interesting. Not everyone within their borders actively worshipped the Roman gods, and that was considered okay. As the Romans expanded, they welcomed the new gods of their new territories. Sometimes they identified them with their own gods or simply tolerated these different forms of worship. Most people were what we call henotheists. This means they were open to believing in the existence of other gods, even if their devotion was aimed towards one specific god. So, for example, a person might worship the Egyptian god Osiris, but if at a guild meeting they had to offer a prayer to the Roman god Jupiter, that was not a big deal, at least for most people. The two groups that this was a problem for were the Jews and the Christians. They were not henotheists, but were rather monotheists. They believed that their god was the only god that existed, and that worshipping another god in any way would be a sin. The Jews, while still experiencing some hatred, were not necessarily persecuted for their religion. The antiquity of their religion was respected. In fact, in the later first century, the Jewish historian, under Roman patronage, wrote an apologetic for Judaism called the Antiquities of the Jews. Even after a couple of wars between the Jews and the Romans, the Romans were not eager to force them to worship either the Roman gods or the emperors. But the Christians were a different story. The Christians probably benefited in the first century from their close connection to Judaism, being in effect a Jewish sect. However, there were strained relations between traditional Jews and Christians, and there was a desire on both of their parts to distinguish themselves from each other, especially as Christianity grew more Gentile in its makeup. It was possible during the time of Nero to identify and execute Christians as a group separate from the Jews. So while the Jews were seen as an ancient race and a religion that deserved a certain level of tolerance, the Christians were seen as a new religious group that refused to embrace pagan customs and who just did not fit in with the rest of the culture. This left the Christians 
as a key, although not the only, target for persecution by the Romans. As we saw back in episode 53, one of the major changes in the Roman Empire was the rise of the Emperor Diocletian. This was not just business as usual, but a new chapter for the empire that attempted to both look back to the old values and to look forward to a new paradigm to get the empire back to health. It was Diocletian that established the Tetrarchy. The empire was divided into the west and the east, and the senior leader for each half was called an Augustus. Each Augustus had a Caesar, basically a junior emperor, who would eventually take over as the Augustus when the senior leader stepped down. This was meant to end and prevent further chaos that was seen during the crisis of the 3rd century with the rapid rise and fall of numerous emperors, reigns lasting often only months. It was a good plan, if it would work. That was an innovative concept, but Diocletian was not just about innovation. He wanted the best of the future and the best of the past. A new governmental structure was not going to be enough to unite the empire. They needed a common value system, one based on religion. While there was tolerance for local religions, Diocletian promoted the worship of the traditional Olympic gods. This return to, quote, old-time religion would be key to the restoration of the empire. Diocletian did not limit his religious agenda to the traditional Roman gods, although it favored them, but any promotion of religion had to be consistent with what he saw as the prosperity of the empire. But then there were those pesky Christians who had grown significantly since they first appeared during the reign of Tiberius. Some estimates put the Christian population as high as 10% of the empire. Christianity could not be ignored. Not only were the numbers growing, so was the influence. There were an amazing number of Christians in high-ranking positions within the empire. It seems that the first signs of persecution began within the Roman army, of which there were Christian members. It was proclaimed that all within the military had to offer a sacrifice or be discharged. At this point, the penalty of refusal was not yet death. Early in the 4th century, a persecution of the Manichaeans began. Diocletian is recorded as saying, quote, We order that the authors and leaders of these sects be subjected to severe punishment, and together with their abominable writings burnt in the flames, we direct their followers, if they continue recalcitrant, shall suffer capital punishment and their goods be forfeited to the imperial treasury. End quote. This would foreshadow what would happen to the Christians. For more on the Manichaeans, listen to episode 54. From the record we have, there seems to have been a disagreement between Diocletian and Galerius, who was Diocletian Caesar. Diocletian favored limiting Christians from positions of power, while Galerius argued for a more violent and general persecution. In the end, Galerius's position won out and persecution began. The Christian writer Lactantius states, quote, An edict was published depriving the Christians of all honors and dignities, ordaining also that without any distinction of rank or degree, they should be subjected to tortures, and that every suit at law should be received against them, 
while on the other hand, they were debarred from plaintiffs in questions of wrong, adultery, or theft. And finally, they should neither be capable of freedom nor have right of suffrage, end quote. Interestingly, in Gaul and Britain, Constantius did not enforce this edict, but persecution only increased in the East. A second edict was proclaimed that required the arrest and imprisonment of all bishops and priests. This was a significant ramping up of the persecution. A third edict was an attempt at some leniency and that an amnesty was offered to those arrested under the second edict as long as they were willing to offer a sacrifice. Since most were unwilling to do this, the third edict was not particularly helpful. The fourth edict, which was in 304, was the strictest one yet. All Christians were required to gather publicly and offer a sacrifice. Those that refused would be executed. This brings us to a major change in the administration in the Roman Empire. Up until this point, the Augusti had been Diocletian and Maximian each with their own Caesar as a junior emperor. In 305, the Augusti retired, and Constantius and Galerius were raised from the position of Caesar to that of Augustus. It should be said that this was more Diocletian's idea than Maximian's. This plan to retire and be replaced by the next generation of leaders was all part of Diocletian's master plan. Not surprisingly, it was in the east that Galerius and his Caesar, Maximinius, continued with the persecution since Galerius had already been the driving force behind it, and Maximinius was a willing, if not eager, participant in this persecution. Church historian Eusebius records this, quote, For in the second attack upon us under Maximinius, in the third year of the persecution, edicts of the tyrant were issued for the first time, commanding that the rulers of the cities should diligently and speedily see to it that all the people offered sacrifices throughout the city of Caesarea by command of the governor, the heralds were summoning men, women, and children to the temples of the idols, and besides this, the Chiliarch were calling out each one by name from a roll, and an immense crowd of the wicked were rushing together from all quarters." End quote. Meanwhile, in the West, other events were taking place that would affect the treatment of Christians within the empire. Constantius died in 306, and instead of being replaced by a Caesar, his son Constantine, as in Constantine the Great, was proclaimed Augustus. We will have a future episode on Constantine, but he is important for this part of the story. In 311, Galerius, on his deathbed, issued an edict to officially end the persecution. Eusebius records the text of the edict. Quote, the Emperor Caesar, Galerius, Valerius, Maximinius, Invictus, Augustus, Pontifex, Maximus, conqueror of the Germans, conqueror of the Egyptians, conqueror of the Thebians, five times conqueror of the Sarmatians, conqueror of the Persians, twice conqueror of the Carpathians, six times conqueror of the Armenians, conqueror of the Medes, conqueror of the Adabidae, tribune of the people the 20th time, Emperor the nineteenth time, consul the eighth time, father of his country, proconsul, and Emperor Caesar Flavius Valerius Constantius, Pius Felix Invictus Augustus, Pontifex Maximus, tribune of the people, emperor of the fifth time, 
consul, father of his country, proconsul. And the emperor Caesar, Valerius, Licinius, Pius, Felix, Invictus, Augustus, Pontifex, Maximus, tribune of the people the fourth time, emperor of the third time, consul, father of his country, proconsul to the people of their province, greeting. Among the other things which we have ordained for the public advantage and profit, we formerly wished to restore everything to conformity with the ancient laws and public discipline of the Romans, and to provide that the Christians also, who have forsaken the religion of their ancestors, should return to a good disposition. For in some way such arrogance had seized them, and such stupidity had overtaken them, that they did not follow the ancient institutions, which possibly their own ancestors had formerly established, but made for themselves laws according to their own purpose, as each one desired, and observed them, and thus assembled as separate congregations in various places. When we had issued this decree that they should return to the institutions established by their ancients, a great many submitted under danger, but a great many being harassed endured all kinds of death. And since many continue in the same folly, and we perceive that they neither offer to the heavenly gods the worship which is due, nor pay regard to the God of the Christians in consideration of our philanthropy and our invariable custom, by which we are wont to extend pardon to all, we have determined that we ought most cheerfully to extend our indulgence in this matter also, that they may again be Christians and may rebuild the conventicles in which they were accustomed to assemble, on condition that nothing be done by them contrary to discipline. In another letter we shall indicate to the magistrates what they have to observe. Wherefore, on account of this indulgence of ours, they ought to supplicate their God for our safety and that of the people and their own, that the public welfare may be preserved in every place and that they may live securely in their several homes. End quote. Despite this, Maximinius continued the persecution until 313. Where Constantine comes into play is the Edict of Milan, which took place in 313. I need to clarify a mistake I often hear. I have heard people claim that the Edict of Milan made Christianity the official religion of the empire, and that was the beginning of the institutionalization of the church. This is completely false. This is actually what the Edict was about, as recorded by Lactantius. Quote, when we, Constantine Augustus and Licinius Augustus, met so happily at Milan and considered together all that concerned the interest and security of the state, we decided to grant to Christians and to everybody the free power to follow the religion of their choice, in order that all that is divine in the heavens may be favorable and propitious towards all who are placed under our authority. End quote. The edict was only about giving the Christians the freedom to worship without fear of persecution. Now, of course, Constantine's relationship with the church is much more complicated than that, as we will see in a future episode, but for now, the edict is about protecting the church from persecution. The Diocletian persecution of the church was one of the major events of the Antonician church and helped to shape what the church would become. The goal was first to remove Christians from positions of power and then to eliminate Christians, whether by death or by threat of death. How many died in the persecution? We cannot know, and numbers vary widely, but many historians lean toward a number such as 3,000. The persecution failed 
because not long after the end of the persecution, the church was actually more powerful than it had ever been. As the persecution ends, we actually are entering into a new era for the church and the relationship with the empire will be forever changed. We will look at how that played out in episodes to come. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please visit me at historyofchristianitypodcast.com and track me down on Facebook and Twitter. You can support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash hopesreason. Even $1 a month, less than a cup of coffee, can make a difference. Thanks for all your ongoing support. Thank you, and God bless.